0: Thank you for downloading the Bristol Lectures podcast, brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Mike Haig, Executive Chair at Mott MacDonald.
1: My name is Sam Tolby. I am a certified commercial mediator, a restructuring accountant, and here's the boo bit a licensed insolvency practitioner. Um, I'm a fellow of the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants. ACCA is the leading body for accountants and financial professionals. It is a proud partner of this Bristol Distinguished Address series. The past 18 months have been, to say the least, one of turbulence. But now we're seeing the the so what uh, new normal. Um, Tonight's event is really timely. Um, I would like to say that recovery is never a linear process. ACCA's own quarterly global economics conditions survey points to this fact. There are dips and troughs and the indicators mm-hmm. fluctuate. So how do we ensure a stable recovery? It's a big question to pose and the answers are dependent on so many factors, including economic confidence. To be confident, policymakers and organisations of all sizes have to be better attuned to potential risks that are on the horizon. COVID-19 has taught us that we have to be ready for the black swan events and the gray rhino risks that we are aware of but choose to ignore. We have to be better able to assess the trends ahead that will impact on how we live and work today and tomorrow. That's why our theme tonight is incredibly timely. Recovery from the global pandemic the impact of accelerated megatrends. To help us better understand the landscape ahead, I'm delighted to introduce our speaker, Mike Haig, Chair, Executive Chair of Mott MacDonald. Mott MacDonald is a leading global engineering management and development consultancy, operating in over 100 countries with some 16,000 employees. Mike is a Fellow of the Institution of Civil Engineers a former chair of the uk association for consultancy and engineering and a member of both the world economic forum's net zero carbon city steering board and the alliance of ceo climate leaders mike has extensive experience of working and living in many countries making him a proactive campaigner for a more integrated infrastructure industry underpinned by a diverse inclusive and digitally enabled workforce, the Women's Business Council and Management Today has twice voted Mike as one of 30 agents of change for his efforts in tackling gender inequality in the workplace. Please, would you welcome Mike? Thanks,
0: um, thanks, Sam. Good evening, everyone. Um, it's Sam. Um, i can't tell you how fantastic it is actually to be um to be standing in front of um of a live audience like this. So I do a lot of um, um, addresses and attend a lot of conferences and the last year and a half has um, it's been pretty awful for many of us in many different ways uh, but that lack of, um, of 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 personal contact has just been dreadful and uh, yeah so it's uh, but i'm out of practice of course so um so, so bear with me so um so thanks again for um, for having me today. The last couple of years has, um, has, has really, I suppose, made me think. It's, I've had a bit more time, uh, like many of us, to think about um, the changing shape of of um, certainly my profession in the infrastructure and industry, but more broadly in in, in terms of businesses. And um, and I've put a lot of thought into this. And uh, and of course, I mean, Jamie talked about um, kind of decarbonisation in the um, in the super yachts. And, Kind of arena decarbonization cop 26 just around the um, round the corner I think that's also you know been being s- sowing seeds in, in my in my head um, I'm obviously probably uh, going to put this into the context of, of infrastructure that's my that's my world as, um, as as Sam said so this is the transport water buildings energy sectors it's it's all the stuff that actually you probably don't realise sometimes that you're touching every day, uh, but you do. It's what makes, um, makes the wheels of, um, of, of our communities kind of go round. But I am going to do it in the context of, um, of, of greenhouse gas emissions as, as, as well, and remembering that um, the infrastructure industry, even though infrastructure is something that, that we use every day, it's, it's, it's critical to us, it's critical to our communities. It is responsible for more than 50% of the greenhouse gas emissions in the, um, in, in, in the world. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take a bit of a short look at um, at history. I think it's useful sometimes to look back and, um, and, and see if there's anything that we can learn from history. Um, I'm going to talk about today's megatrends, what I think are the megatrends and how they're affecting business and, um, and us as individuals. And, um, and then I'm going to try and give my thoughts about um, what, what we can all do either as businesses, some practical things that we can all do as businesses or as individuals to cope better with those mega trends um, sam's kind of explained already what um, what Mont mcdonald does I guess what what isn 't so clear we 've been doing it for one hundred and fifty years we 've been in this um, th- this business you know for a long time and um, and i I think that we 've got lessons to learn from um, from from some of that time but before I start, so next door is um I gather, is the, um, is, is the UE um, engineering building, the new engineering building which, um, which won a couple of awards this um, um, in the last uh, last week, in fact, from the BCI, British Construction Industry Awards. I was really, um, and I had, of course at the time didn't put two and two together, I didn't know um, who was going to win the um, the award, but I was giving a prize at this um, event, I was a guest of the Institution of Civil Engineers giving an award and, um, and I was the one that gave the award to the team that... Um, that, that um, designed and, um, and, and uh, delivered the engineering business next door, uh, building next door, and of course it, it won two awards: one for the very best project um, of the year, but also for its um, for its community um, kind of purposes, and, and that will come into um, some of the things that I say a little bit later on. So I guess change is going to be a theme that goes through what I talk about tonight, and um, and. Megatrends are something that have always existed, and I will come on to talk about the megatrends that affect us now, but these megatrends have always been there. They've been different trends. They do. They come and go infrequently, and, um, and some of these trends have been going for 150 years. Climate change is, is, is one. I can remember reading an article um, that was published by a newspaper in New Zealand in, in about 1900 warning of the um, of the dangers that were coming from um, from from greenhouse gas emissions and um, and the climate change that that would um, create. So there are some trends that that um, that, that keep, just keep going, but other things um, are um, are more fleeting um, in um, certainly in in uh, non geological times. So things like industrialization 150 years ago, you know, what were those trends? industrialization population growth in um, in, in cities. We've still got that now, but we had it 150 years ago. Healthcare, the early days of real, um, of, of real healthcare, and um, and education, and the start of social mobility—all of these things really, um, re- really important. And McDonald was around in, um, in in those days as well, and we were doing the sort of things that we um, do. There were other—I'm an enge- of course. I'm an engineer. I'm a civil engineer. I can't not talk about certain things. I'm in Bristol, and um, you know, Brunel and the Great Western Railway um it's just a joy for me to be on that railway and come into the um into temple mead station but just a reminder you know that um that when you look at, at when brunel was doing what he did and and um and the challenges that he faced so this is about change again you know the whole kind of drive for more mobility and everything that that brought to um, to, to this country and other countries the very first railway stockton and darlington 1825 one of the very last railways, not a million miles away from where I live, is the Settle to Carlisle Railway. That's 1874, 1875. 50 years, over 50 years, we managed to build the vast majority of the railway network that we've got today, that we still use today. So we were able to respond to um, to the challenges that were um, that, that were thrown at us in terms of um, mobility in the time and um, and, and make such a... A massive contribution um, in terms of innovation, in terms of engineering, in, in, in such a short time. So I'll go on. So um, a little bit more kind of Mott McDonald um, stuff, maybe just again to put it into, um, into some sort of context. So who's heard of the current wars? I know I know there are some engineers in this in this room, and someone will have heard of the current wars. There's someone putting his hand up, um, up, up there. So this was this was the um, this was the battle. Um, in the 1870s, between Edison and Tesla, as they tried to decide whether DC or, um, or AC was the way forward for electricity, remembering that at that time, you know, we didn't have street lighting, we'd built all these railways, but we didn't have um, e- electricity. And, um, and these two guys were, were battling away. There's a young man called Marconi who, um, who at that time was had worked with both of them, and he pretty much managed to fall out with both of them. And um, wasn't quite sure what his future would be, and so he decided to um, to come to the UK. In fact, the story goes that he was a he was a good Italian lad, and he did what his mum told him. His mum said, "You know what? I think um, you need to go somewhere else and um, and, and ply your trade." So he turned up in um, in Southampton with um, with his bags full of kit, all these wires and um, transformers and, um, and and you name it. And of course the um, Customs guys at the time didn't know what on earth to do with, um, with with this, so they called on the general post office at the time. The chief engineer, a guy called William Priest, Sir William Priest, who um, who came down and um, and reassured everyone that this guy wasn't going to blow up the nation. He was here to do good things um, in terms of telecommunications, in terms of electricity. <clears throat> Long story short, William Priest went on to um, be. One of the very first founders of, of Mott McDonald, and um, and he's certainly someone that I look to as a as a pioneer. He was very involved. He was the the person responsible for the very first street lighting in um, in, in London back in the 1880s, and um, and he was the person that gave Vic- Queen Victoria a telephone for the very first time. Can you um, can you believe? Although he's very well, um, he's also known for a for an interesting quote, which was and I have to read this. The Americans have need of the telephone, but we do not. We've got plenty of messenger boys, So I thought that was quite, uh, quite interesting. So around the same time, we, um, as a company, we started um, digging holes in, under London. And um, David Hay, Basil, Basil Mott, two people that um, introduced um, uh, what you might call modern tunneling techniques um, in order to, um, to, to build the very first Railways in London, the City and South um, London Railway being um, being one of them, uh, the Northern Northern Line being uh, be, being another. These are railways that Mott MacDonald still works on, but um, David Hay and, and, and Basil Mott, they were the two again founders of um, of, of Mott MacDonald, who um, who were instrumental, I think, in, um, in, in in transforming the way that we thought of transport in um, in, in cities. The story goes on. And uh, I know I can. So my wife's in the audience. She's probably slightly rolling her eyes now at the fact that I'm spending so long talking about um, about engineering. But the story does go on. You know, John Bartlett in the 1960s, um, a former partner of of Mount McDonald, who um, who patented bentonite tunnel, um, uh, bentonite slurry shield um, tunneling. And there is no tunnel in the world now which um, which tunnels through soft ground that doesn't use his patented process. innovation is at the heart I think of what um, we as, um, as, as, as humans actually actually live with and it's that innovation that we use to, deal with the, um, to to deal with the challenges that are put in front of us to deal with these so-called um, so-called megatrends. Um, you know Mott McDonald now we, um, we're not known perhaps for, um, for, for some of those basic things that I talked about earlier whether it's our role on um, solar, wind, hydrogen, um, sustainable aviation fuels which is, um, w- which is something that, that you'll be hearing a lot more of I'm sure over the coming years, um, hydropower, all of these things, we're proud nowadays to be, um, to be playing our, our part on Europe's largest green hydrogen project. So this is a project called North H2 which basically um, utilizes wind from the North Sea and, um, and it's through electrolysis, it produces hydrogen which produces, which is a gas which is then transmitted through former gas pipelines, so existing gas pipelines to take that hydrogen to industrial hubs across, um, across Northern, Northern Europe, just a, just a fantastic project and an example again of, um, of, of how innovation can start to deal with some of these challenges. We're, we're um, developing a digital twin. Um, across different utilities, water, electricity, telecommunications, for COP26, to help demonstrate at COP26 to um, to the participants there, the importance of digital. If we are going to deal with um, with the climate crisis, then actually using data, using information, is going to be a, 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 a key uh, part of that. So. Um, So I hope you're kind of um, getting the message around um, around innovation and um, and how innovation not only is it at the heart of, of what what McDonald does and what the infrastructure industry does um, generally, but it's still at the heart of what we do. And we need to think about that innovation as we start thinking about the challenges that we've um, that we've got a- ahead. So what are those um, what are those challenges? What um, what do I think of, um, of, of, of the things that have really come to light during this pandemic that maybe we'd been thinking about before, but we hadn't quite appreciated their, um, their importance? And to business, this is important, because, um, and to individuals, this is important, because we can live with megatrends as long as they move very, very slowly. But as soon as those megatrends start to accelerate, then we have to move quickly and um and i believe that as we come out of this pandemic or i hope we're coming out of this pandemic then we've got to really start thinking about what these mega trends are and what they what they do for us because one thing that history has shown during pandemics is that mega trends and the response to mega trends accelerates things start to move quickly i um i was at a a a gathering a few months ago where um where Somebody said to me that, um, or said to the, the, the conference, there are not many things that are certain at the moment, but one thing is certain, that the pace of change will never be this slow again. Things are just going to get faster and faster and faster. So let's just think about that as, um, as, as, as we go on. So what are these trends? Well, I think pandemics. Pandemics have been there forever. And, um, and, and our ability to recover from them, our resilience around dealing with them, I think it's, it's, it's a trend, but now, blimey, we're not gonna ignore this again, are we? I think whether you're a business, you're an individual, you're a national government, you are starting to think about pandemics. You are making sure that they're on your risk register. As we know, there are a lot of organizations um, hadn't perhaps put enough thought into the fact that we were bound we were always bound to have a global pandemic of this um, of, of this nature what are we going to do about it the climate emergency and energy transitioning we've been talking about climate emergency as I said before this has been around for a hundred years and, um, and, and and more but I think we've all felt this haven't we that in the last um, the last six months last 12 months and maybe cop 26 has helped a little bit But I think the pandemic has given us pause for thought. And I think we're not gonna be ignoring climate change, the climate emergency, um, as we perhaps have in the past. And it's not just about climate, of course, it is also about managing the scarce resources that we've got in the world, circularity and and resilience. Around the world, we see more and more the floods, the wildfires and so on that that we have to deal with if we're going to um, protect the communities that um, that, that we all live in. Shifting global dynamics, again, you know, this is something that's, um, that, that's not new um, but I think we're seeing some, some interesting shifts at the moment, uh, not the least of which is, um, is, is the relationships between uh, countries like um, Australia, the UK, uh, the US and, um, and, and China. And finally, and something that I think um, really sits as a foundation in, in, in terms of how we deal with all of these things the pace and the scale of digitalization, how we use how we use data. All of these things, I think, are they're clearly real and they're clearly things that we have to take into account. In my world, um, running um, a, a business that delivers infrastructure that works with with clients around the world, in um, in, in delivering and maintaining infrastructure, um, these things are, um, are are definitely real and they're things that we're um, that we're thinking about. So some um, some thoughts. So first of all, the the resilience to um, to future pandemics. I mean, there's no doubt that COVID-19 has exposed vulnerabilities. You know, it's demonstrated that things can change really quickly, scarily quickly. In the case of this um, pandemic, it's also shown us that we can adapt quickly. I mean, look at how quickly we've managed to adapt. Many companies, many organisations, countries have adapted to something that was that was um, unthought of, we just never thought that something of this, um, this scale was, was, was going to happen. So what can we learn and what should we be thinking about? Again, as businesses, as, as nations, as, as individual, individuals, agility is more important than ever. You know, We don't know what's around the corner, so be flexible. Whatever it is that you're doing, be flexible. Make sure that you're thinking about your markets, your customer base, your stakeholders and understanding how you can serve them in a, in a more flexible way. Building for pandemic resilience. I mean, that might sound a, 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 a kind of a, a strange um, sentence, but the reality is that, that we don't always build for, um, for pandemic resilience. You just think, and pandem- pandemics doesn't have to be COVID-19, flu, you know, viruses. We can build, we can organize stations, we can organize auditor- auditoriums in a way with, that, that protects us from, um, from viral infections. I mean, we call it infrastructure epidemiology, but that's sort of really taking epidemiology and mixing it with knowledge of buildings and infrastructure in order to create safer um, safer environments. We're doing this now with um, the, in the, with, the, with our work with um, JFK Airport in, um, in, in New York, where thinking in terms of how people move, not just in terms of the efficiency of how they move, but actually also in terms of... Um, of their um, potential for the potential for viruses to, to spread, I think we have to keep an eye on um, on funding methods and and how things are going to be um, funded. I, I think things will change. I think we'll see uh, emergence uh, emergence of, um, of, of of different funding um, methodologies. You'll have heard in this country about about sort of green financing. Um, that's obviously very related to um, uh, to climate change, but nevertheless, and of course, economies need building, need rebuilding. Large-scale infrastructure is is something that most governments around the world use to um, to actually fuel economies, to get money into people's um, in, into people's pockets. But how do you do that and incorporate build back greener, build back better? Sometimes building nothing might be the greener um, alternative. So creating more for less, in in, in other words. And, um, and I guess more prioritisation. I think we, we as the public, will be being looked to much more to try and help um, governments help help my clients um, really really understand what it is that we need, what it is that we we want, but maybe need more than um, more than want. So that's um, that's the response to um, to pandemics, climate emergency, and um, energy transitioning. Um, I guess this all needs no introduction. Hopefully, all of us are bought into the fact that something has to change, something has to be done. Um, we've all seen and heard the rhetoric from our governments. We've, um, we've heard the, the fantastic commitments that are being made around um, being net zero by 2050 or whatever that, term, that might be. But, you know, what are the actual actions? Time is running out. Um, so certainly, as businesses, again, in my um, industry shifting to low, low carbon energy sources for operation of infrastructure. This is going to be real. Uh, it's going to require behaviour changes as well because I don't think we're going to be able to just do what we always did be- before. I think we're going to see people shifting to carbon and circularity as key measures as they're, as they're um, procuring um, services. Um, but it's not just procuring services, it's pro- procuring greens, you know, people are going to want to know that, there's a, that there are credentials, carbon credentials, around, um, around what's being offered. Um, we're going to see, definitely see a move to no-build or, um, or reduced-build constructions solutions where um, I think the days of, of um, ripping down perfectly good buildings and replacing it with a spanking new building. When the perfectly good building that you had before already had the embedded carbon in it, it was, the job was already done with carbon. Why would you? Why would you do that? And we are going to see absolutely the emergence of new technologies in um, in things like um, sustainable aviation, aviation fuels. I um, so I was speaking this morning at a um, at, at a conference earlier this morning in Australia, and um, of course I was here, and. Um, and this was, this was net zero, this was the pathway to, um, to, to net zero. And, um, and so I'm only saying that because I could probably speak for hours on, on this subject. So I'm going to move on from, um, from, from carbon and, and climate, climate change. But just remember that any business, and, I, and it's great that, Jamie, you were looking at this in, 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 in terms of your, your ideas, any business, forget climate change at your peril. Um, it has to be part of the, um, the, the future going forward. And then, next one is um, social impact and inclusion in response to um, inequality. I, th- And this is interesting, you know, you've definitely seen this. Now, whether you've felt it or not in, in your businesses or in your daily life, but ordinary citizens and their concerns are being listened to more than they, they, they were and they will be listened to and, um, and their voice will be acted on. Inequality... Will be expected to be acted on, both by governments and by um, individuals, and by and by governments. Governments. So, what does that really kind of mean for, um, again, for businesses or um, or all of us? I think organisations are already expected to play their part in terms of diversity, everything to do with diversity, creating um, environments where um, everyone feels um, included. Um, but that need. And I would say quite rightly that need will just get stronger and stronger and stronger and as businesses again we need to really think about um, diversity in everything that we um, that we do and remembering it's good for business you know I remember my um, EDI manager equality diversity inclusion manager six seven years ago saying to me how important a business case was um, when talking about diversity and I almost fell off my chair I didn't agree. I thought, well, I want to do this because it's the right thing to do. And he said, yes, but not everyone does. Not everyone thinks it's the right thing to do. Sometimes you need a business case to persuade things that things are um, things are are right. And so don't be afraid to, um, to have to, to, to make the case very strongly in business terms for that diversity. I think we're going to see growing reporting environments for businesses. Um, in response to both climate, um, climate change and social aspects. Um, this, is already, this is already happening. Um, we already, um, you know, have um, things like the Social Value Act in, um, in, in, in the UK which, um, which businesses have to respond to but um, I would like to see that we, all of us, start to move quicker than necessarily policy or acts of parliament and we, um, and we actually start to think of creating social outcomes. In the things that we do whatever the business is creating social outcomes that go beyond just obeying the rules and and move to transformation in the infrastructure industry around the world we spend trillions of dollars trillions of pounds every year on infrastructure why wouldn't you just work a little bit harder to make sure that the projects that you're dealing with create transformational social outcomes this doesn't cost money the money's already there it's about how you choose to um, to spend it. I think we're also going to see people looking to businesses to deliver some of the things that I'm talking about as opposed to governments and um, I think that's going to put a a real um, responsibility on all of us to really understand what that means and to spend our budgets wisely, to spend our hard earned cash wisely. I think embedding social outcomes in, um, in, in, in a business is, is going to be part of the, the future. Um, whether you're a manufacturer, whether you're a provider of, um, of infrastructure, I think you know, uh, the public will be looking to understand just what part you play in, um, in creating those better um, outcomes. And then um, underpinning all of this, I think, is the pace. And scale of um, of, of digitalization and, um, and and data, there is no question that data and information will be more freely used in everything that we um, that we do. You know the digital tools, AI learning, machine AI, machine learning. You know we'd call it augmented delivery. They're all they're all getting commonplace already, and um, and the value of that data is is really going to start to be um, understood. I think. Um, I can't remember, I was talking to someone upstairs earlier and I've just, um, I've just hit the sort of slightly dodgy landmark of um, having been in this profession for 40 years and, um, and I wrote a little bit of, um, a, a, bit of a piece that um, ended up on LinkedIn and various other uh, platforms talking about this, my story over, um, over 40 years. And when I started work, our, uh, in our office, we had a, a room about this size with a computer in and I think we had two terminals somewhere else in the building. And, um, and that was it, that was, our, um, that was, that was computing. I still had a slide rule, six-figure tables, we've got mathematicians in the audience I know, six-figure tables, seven-figure tables, and, um, and drawing boards and, and, and so on. But you know what, my career, things changed. We got desktops, we got laptops, uh, we started using spreadsheets, we started using two-dimensional uh, computer-aided uh, design, but all of that took 25 years. That that change in technology took 25 years, and it was it was re- it, and it's revolutionised what we do. But it still took 25 years. You move on from um, from that 2D computer aided um, drafting that we um, that we use to look at what we do today, where we compute, where we pretty much do all of the design work using using mod- digital models. Everything's done with a model. There's no drawing with a pencil. It's all digital models. The designs are done within that model. But these models are not three-dimensional. They're four, five, six-dimensional models, which, which taking into account cost, taking into account programming, uh, scheduling, taking into account carbon, and then being used for the lifetime asset management of that, of that piece, of, um, piece of engineering, whatever it is, a digital twin, we would, um, we, we would call it. That's all happened really quickly. It's only 10 years ago that we started to talk about uh, three-dimensional modelling, three-dimensional design. And from going from three-dimensional drafting to to having digital twins of the infrastructure that we we all live with has taken 10 years. And it's getting quicker, which was my point um, earlier about the the pace of change. So we are going to be using digital technology um, more and more, whether we like it or, or not. In the infrastructure world, digital twins are going to be commonplace. So when a client decides to build a, a metro um, or a—I um, was going to say a power station, but that's um, that's—I uh, shan't pay, so. So let, let me say a, a, a solar array. Um, they will—they won't be—they won't just be designing it. They won't just be purchasing a design and then purchasing someone to um, to, to go and build it. They're going to be commissioning a digital and a physical asset at the same time. And that's a, that's a revolution in the way that we um, think about things. But those digital assets, by really understanding the way that thing, something works because we have so much information, so much data about it, it also enables us to, to move towards those reduced um, construction or no construction solutions because we really understand how something works. We understand how people move. you know. We, um, we we can just do amazing things now with data. We can we can track mobile phones as a way of working out how people are actually using a piece of infrastructure. So you don't just design a piece of infrastructure based on what you think might happen. You can design that infrastructure on what exactly happens, and sometimes that changes your um, changes your 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 view. I think um, again in terms of businesses, um, in terms of certainly in terms of young people going out into. Um, into the various professions um, nowadays, I think digital skills are, um, and maybe this is stating the obvious, but d- digital skills are going to be absolutely critical. As a business, I think you're going to be measured more and more. We're going to be measured more and more by our clients in terms of the digital innovation that we can bring to whatever solution that the, um, that, that particular client is, um, is, is looking for. I think that when it comes to... Um, Decarbonisation and, and and really working out how um, this country, any country, can can decarbonise. You um, we we it, it is impossible to produce enough green energy to, um, to to certainly in the next ten years with the technology that we've got to do everything that we that we need to do. We have to find ways of, of working, of moving, of um, of of producing, of manufacturing more efficiently. And we'll do that with data. And we'll do that with, with digital twins. So there you go. Those were a few of my um, thoughts. Just quickly looking at my watch, a few of my thoughts. I think um, things are moving moving fast. I think you know, hopefully you'll, you'll kind of get that what I was describing to start with around um, infrastructure 150 years ago, You know what, what some of those stories demonstrated is that people did amazing things in order to respond. To the trends to the, to the challenges that they were facing um, in, in those times, and I think that we can do the same uh, whether it's as businesses or as um, individuals. I think we don't need to be scared, maybe we should be a little bit scared when it comes to climate change for sure. But you know, generally speaking, around these mega chains, we don't need to be too scared. We can address these, um, the, these challenges, we've got so many of the things already. Um, that we need to do to, to embrace these challenges as, as opportunities. You know, I've, I've got a colleague that loves to say that we, we can solve today's problems with, with today's technology. And that's so true, especially if you take into account our ability to change people's behaviours. So, I think, um, I guess, look, the one thing that I would say that, um, that isn't always quite so clear is the social outcomes side of things. I do think that looking at social outcomes, again, not in terms of compliance but a way to use your businesses, um, in my case infrastructure, to transform communities, I think is a message that I would like to, um, to, to leave behind. I think I'd also like to say we need to have a voice as individuals or as an, an industry. You know, many of these solutions, many of the, th- many of the challenges I've talked about, opportunities, we can, we can deal with them but some of them need policy change and certainly when you come in to um, talk about climate change, we need a voice, we need to be loud, we need um, our governments to, um, to, to listen to us, we need to listen to ourselves, we need to talk in such a way that we understand the behavioural changes that are going to be necessary if we're going to face some of these challenges as well. So it isn't just about having um, advocacy with governments, it's also about having a voice with the general public and the communities in which we, um, in which we live and, and, and work. In very practical terms for a business I would say um, drive your digital, um, drive digital, your own digital transformation. I mean drive it and then drive it again. It's, um, you, you, this is going to be a non-stop thing for, for any business for the next, um, well for the foreseeable future. And really see and understand the value in, um, in, in data and information. Understand the value in the information and data that you've got already. We all sit on massive amounts of information that we don't take advantage of. I think, um, and with that, upskill. This pace of change of, um, of digitalization is, um, is, is it's so fast that you can't just wait for the next bunch of graduates to graduate and come and show you how to use the new bit of, um, of, of technology, as many of us have done for um, four decades in, um, in, in my case. It's moving so quickly. That within your organisation, you're actually going to have to be continually upskilling people in terms of um, their digital abilities. I think um, the social outcomes thing—I keep coming back to this, don't I? Having a clear purpose. I think There's no doubt. When you read um, you read all the academic and um, press on this, you read McKinsey or whoever it might be. Being a purpose-led business is um, is seen as simply a good thing. Purpose-led businesses are the businesses that are. Um, are doing the best commercially um, out there, and um, having a purpose a clear purpose that 's got social outcomes at its heart, which Mo Mcdonald has, we live and breathe, believing that we should take into account social purpose social outcomes in everything that we do and that is our, that is a sentence from our um, our, um, our, our, our purpose have a have a clear purpose, and if you don 't have one as an organization. Really, really think about it. Go away and think. You know, when we started thinking about this, we had a we had a mission, a vision. We had all sorts, mission, vision, people statement, we had, you, you name it, we had all of these things, and none of them meant anything. Our, um, our colleagues, my colleagues, I'm looking at one or two of them grinning up there at the moment, you know, our colleagues, they knew why they were waking up in the morning and coming into work, because they were passionate about what they did, but we didn't articulate it we didn't sell it to that next generation of um, employees. So have a clear purpose, articulate why you exist and why people should come and, um, and, and, and join you. I think um, I mentioned diversity. I think diversity has to be at the heart of everything that we do. Um, the reality is that diverse teams are more productive. They're um, they're, they're more innovative. Uh, diverse thinking of people with different minds that think in different ways it makes a difference. It's not just about visible diversity, this is about diversity in all its um, shapes and and, and paths. Be clear about your road to net zero. Be clear about what your contribution is going to be, Um, whether it's um, through carbon neutrality, which is what McDonald did, we chose to become carbon neutral, we are carbon neutral. Um, We did that with a very clear path, not to neutrality, but to ultimate net zero um, status. Uh, but along the way we've become carbon neutral and again I can talk for hours about that but I won't, I'll, I've got to keep going. So um, I think around our world governments are talking and certainly in the UK uh, government cities are talking about build back better, build back greener. Well I do, I really do believe that we can all play our part in this, whatever we do as individuals, as, as businesses, um, certainly those of us working in the um, infrastructure sector, we can all play our part in this, but we've got to embrace change and, um, and just remember, you know, what those people did in the past. Just remember the Marconis of the world, the Sir William Priests. You know, they embraced change and they made a, a real difference. And I really hope that, um, that those of you that, that, that lead businesses, certainly people like myself in, um, in the infrastructure world, that in 150 years' time, people will look back at us and say, blimey. Didn't they embrace change? Didn't they see that as an opportunity? And didn't they make a difference? Thanks. I think right, we've thank got time you. For
2: Thank you very much. Um, a tour de force from uh, Stevenson and Brunel through to uh, the mega trends for the, for the future. What What are the implications for the university sector? I was sat here I'm ticking them off, thinking, "Christ, there's more to do on that,
0: and that, and that." I think, in in one shape or form, they've all got implications. Of Of course, they have. I think the um, the obvious immediate one that I know you're dealing with is post pandemic. How do you take advantage of um, the ways of working that you learned about before, like um, like the questions um, uh, coming up digitally? How do you take advantage of, of that whilst, at the same time, not, le- not losing the good things that, that you had before? So I think ways of, of working. I think digital. I think um, that's, a, that's an interesting one for, for universities. Um, I think that everyone needs to be leaving university with not only digital skills, but understanding of the need to, to really keep um, upskilling and understanding the importance of data. Um, the data and information side of things, it doesn't really matter what, you know, what you're doing. In, um, you, know, you could be a historian and suddenly the world of history is different, isn't it? Because there's all of that data out there. Use it, the thought of using artificial intelligent machine learning to sift through all of that information and start making different conclusions. So I, I, I think um, I would say those, those things are the two that obviously um, jump out. I think um, net zero... So as a as a as a business, um, I think net zero. You, I think your students are going to expect to t- see a clear plan towards net zero or carbon neutrality uh, uh, along the way. I think of a as, as a um, as a oh blimey, I've forgotten the expression for it now. But universities are now considered to be of a su- sufficient size that you, your reporting requirements are going to um, are going to in- in- increase in terms of your annual accounts and the um, and, and the like. And that will require rep- reporting on, um, on on certain of your commitments around net zero, um, having a net zero plan or a climate plan, things like that. So that's that's definitely going to apply. Everything I talked about is going to apply in one in one shape or another. <laughs> that's that's what I was afraid of. Um,
2: <laughs> great question there. What would you, what would you say to a 21 year old
0: Mike? <laughs> 21 year old me? Yeah. Um, oh, blimey, that's a that is a good. Um, that's a good question. What would I say to a 21-year-old me? Um, I would probably say um, calm down a bit and, um, and and don't take life so seriously. Again, I'm conscious that my wife's in the audience <laughs> tonight. So, yeah, calm down a bit. Don't um, don't take life so seriously. You know, a year's a long time. You don't have to achieve everything um, in, in, in one go. Be patient. Be more patient. Um, I think when you, um, as I... <laughs> When you've got a career that spans forty years, you suddenly realise that one year is nothing. Out of all of all, all of that, you know, I used to fret about my kids talking about going travelling and things. Why would you go travelling? Just start work, and because um, you'll lose that two months. You know, get 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 in there. Um, so definitely, I think be um, be, be more patient. Uh, don't worry so much, and um, and recognise actually, yeah, one one very important thing. If there is a twenty-one-year-old in the um, in, in the audience recognize that when you start working, you will be surrounded, you'll be very unlucky if you're not surrounded by people that care, that really care about you and your careers and only want to help. And you will probably find yourself in positions where you think you can't ask for help because that shows weakness. Um, so you're going to do it yourself. And, but never underestimate how older people actually just want to help you and, um, and, and support you. So yeah, remember that. Great. Thanks.
2: Uh, just one thing I did forget earlier. If you want to tweet about the event and tell others what a fantastic time you're having here with us and with, with Mike, the hashtag was uh, hashtag Bristol Lectures with a capital L for lectures. All one word. If I get that right. <coughs> yeah. Sorry. I'll get told off later. But I out that bit. But, uh, so other than climate change, uh, biggest threat to new businesses um, on a 10-year time horizon. You could repeat your whole lecture.
0: Yeah, it's. it's what one thing would you pick out? It's, um, so big. Biggest threat, I think, is is not grasping the digital transformation. Um, I I think that um, there are so many examples already. I think of, of, of businesses that that haven't, you know, discovered online shopping in, in the commercial area or whatever it might be. So many examples already of. Of, of where if you don't sort of embrace digital then you will um, that then you'll you'll die um, I think um, so I think the biggest threat is 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 digital but I would just if I may answer a slightly different question as well biggest opportunity I think is embracing social outcomes is embracing the fact that customers more and more are going to want to see not only what you do in terms of the little product that they're buying but where it came from and how it was produced and, um, and and how authentic you are as an organization in, in, in creating it, what you're doing to support the communities in which you're producing this um, this, this thing biggest biggest opportunity social outcomes.
2: And you, you sort of touched on, on AI you said talked a lot about big data, perhaps not so much the analytics and uh, AI can get a, a bad name as well as a, as a, a good name algorithms <coughs> that, uh, that don't end up with social good coming at the end of them but what? Uh,
0: how do you see AI changing, uh, changing the world for the better or potentially for the worse? I, I think, um, I, I think certainly in our industry, you know, I, I see a lot more caution probably around um, around artificial intelligence. I know this is a slight tangent, but I don't know if anyone saw the um, um, saw the the, the um, article in the papers the other day about um, number plate recognition.
1: do yeah. you see that? Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, I mean that's just a classic, isn't it, where you can get a ticket for um, for driving in a bus lane when it was actually a person walking down the bus lane with a T-shirt that had written on it something that looked a little bit like your number plate. You know, so that's obviously number plate recognition um, gone gone wrong. So I think so I think what we'll see is a lot more care around um, around artificial intelligence, but it's not going to go away.
2: I think that happened in Bath as well. I was expecting I the, the woman with the sweater to emerge as a sort of celebrity any any moment now. But, uh, um, leadership on road and air transport to achieve net zero. Who's going to Who's going to do it for the transport sector? Can you see leaders starting to emerge? I think there are
0: there's there's a lot of a lot of leadership. I would say going on in in, in that area. There are there are lots of um, in in our transport world. Um, there are Two or three organisations, I would say, particularly that are really um, trying to grapple with with some of the issues around things like um, sustainable aviation fuel and other ways of um, of, 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 of other other methods of mobility. Um, I think um, I think the private sector is is certainly starting to um, to to uh, to mobilise in, in in this area. I was reading something the other day about the number of of organisations that have now got prototypes. Of, um, of effectively drones, large drones, that, that carry people <coughs> carry people or freight, and, um, and the role that those drones could play in, um, in short distance or medium distance travel, and of course then there's the, the hybrid between a drone and an aeroplane, um, which effectively can do the middle distances, um, and these are all electric, of course, this is not using sustainable aviation fuel, it's using um, electricity. So I guess there's a whole thing, and, and of course your own, our own professor Glenn Lyons will have a uh, wherever he is. I can't see. There is. Um, we'll have a view on this and, and be much more knowledgeable than um, th- than me. But I think sometimes it's important not to not to look at at the challenge that you've got today, and think right. What are we going to do to solve that? If you look at aviation, you look at the way that we travel by air or travel by air. You look at that and you think, well, what's the solution? Well, it has to be sustainable aviation fuels, some way of, of using a plant-based uh, fuel, which is still not perfect because it still, you know, it it, it still creates um, carbon. Um, but actually, the way to look at it is, well, what are people trying to do in terms of travel? What what's the behaviour thing about travel? You know, you don't have to fly everywhere. You don't certainly don't have to fly between Glasgow and um, and, and, and London. You can travel by train. And um, so I think there's a whole thing about changing people's behaviours and using different types of um, of, um, of, of, um, of air travel. And I
2: think one, one thing the pandemic, which you, you mentioned in the talk, has done is it, it has changed behaviour. And the, the interesting thing is how far it just changes back. I think we've uh, all seen with. Uh, I was going to. One question I was going to ask is, uh, I'll come to that in a second. That's too big a question. I'll give you time to think about that. I'm just wondering what. What Mott are doing with their their office space? Uh, it's a question I always like to ask sort of big and important businesses. But uh, have you gone back to, or are you going back to old ways of working, or is it uh, is there a permanent change now in the way you use your your physical space and your and your people use that physical space?
0: It's a sort of big question if you um, if you look at the big picture of of, of that. You know, we um we feed for a number of years now we've been moving our offices into central locations so that people can use public transport and so on. So as a whole carbon angle to, um, to, to our offices uh, in terms of um, in terms of attracting our um, colleagues back into offices um, in the it's different in different parts of the world of course because you have to follow the, the rules clearly but um, but we, we believe strongly that we need to learn the lessons from um, the good things that we've learned over and um, over the COVID period but we also remember to need to remember the good things that we, um, we had before so we think there's going to be a mixture um, we're, um, we're currently encouraging um, our, our colleagues to come into the office eight days a month, and um, so approximately two days a week with a lot of agility. So we believe in a much more agile approach. We don't want to sort of say, right, you come in on a Tuesday, you come in on a Wednesday. We, um, we want people to be talking to their, their fellow team members, because most of what we do is in teams. We work in teams. So we want people to be talking to their project managers, their team leaders, talking to the others in their teams. And, um, and working out what, what, what suits them. Um, I, I think we would say there's, no, there's little point in someone commuting for two hours to go into an office, to sit in the corner with a laptop and not talk to anyone all day, work on the laptop and then commute for two hours on the way home. So that's why the communication I think is important, working with your team to figure out how we're going to use that time when we're together. So thinking much more collaboratively, thinking of, of the workplace as a place where we talk to people and um, and we collaborate with, um, with with each other and that's difficult to do if you just say come in on tuesday and not wednesday so we've we've got this um this this yeah real um, um agile agile approach and we've got clear policies and things around that that's
2: great has that given me time to think about the company's I don't have to
0: think ultimate purpose? I don't have to think about it. In fact, I could I point to any one of my colleagues here, and they could answer the, um, the 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 question. I mean, our the first line of our purpose is to improve society by considering social outcomes in everything we do, relentlessly focusing on digital innovation and excellence, and um, and that's us because all we can do, we've got digital innovation and excellence. You know, that's we're technical people, broadly speaking, we're professional technical people. And, um, and so, you know, we, we just need to use all of that skill that we can do to create something that is wanted by the communities in which we, um, in, in which we work. So improving society, you know, by considering social outcomes and everything that we do, and that's the tricky bit <clears throat> because, um, you know, in, we, we can... Um, different people have got a different view on, on improving society. You can build a metro, you can build a bus lane, and it makes life easier for some people. And, and we can do that with the digital tools that we've got and the, and the, and the clever engineering that we, um, that we can do. But as we're doing it, we have to think about social outcomes in everything that we do, any project. Even if a client doesn't want us to think about those social outcomes, you know, what we would say is that, and our, our colleagues understand this, take a step back and look at what this project means in terms of its accessibility, in terms of you know, whatever it might be. Really understand it. Understand it in terms of carbon. Measure the carbon impact of the project, even if no one wants to know. So for, for me, that's our purpose. Um, that's, that's great. I
2: was wondering if it was one of your colleagues that uh, put that question up there. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> got the other three well, testing me. <laughs> testing <laughs> yeah. me. Um, what I've wondered, certainly wondered about um, <clears throat> current infrastructure, is that a pun? Um, can, can infrastructure <laughs> accommodate the boom in electric cars in the coming years? Well, Current infrastructure would be a bit of a challenge because we've only got eight, eight charging points in the business school car park that some of you will have, have arrived in. But uh, what's, what's your take on the infrastructure needed for the electric vehicle
0: boom? I think um, again, I've got there are people in the audience here that um, that, that would give terrific answers to, um, to to this. But as a as a you know as, as someone that knows a bit about the subject, I hope um, I think whatever the answer to that question, it shouldn't stop you doing the right thing. We have to decarbonize travel, and therefore we should be buying electric vehicles, or hybrid vehicles, or um, uh, plug-in um, electric vehicles, plug-in hybrids. So I, I, let's not worry about whether or not the world can cope with the with the electricity demand to start with. I think let's create the demand um, first of all. So I think that's that's important. I think this um, this, this whole idea of being a first mover, um, there are elements of. of, of what some of you might have read in the press around the first move, mover campaign that I don't agree with, but, but the fact is that things like that, I think we have to move, we have to shift and, and, and do it. It's amazing how um, how the world, how infrastructure can actually respond, how policy can respond when the demand is, um, is, is there. So buy the electric cars is the first thing. The reality is that in the next 10 years, there are different... Um, Different opinions around the numbers, but if we decarbonise this country in the way that we're um, that we're expecting to do, and decarbonisation to a large extent is about electrification, then we'll be using three times the electricity um, in this country in 10 years' time than we're using today. That's not an issue with necessarily producing that electricity. We can produce more renewable electricity. That's um, that that that's possible. But the issue is how do we then move that electricity around and then this whole different, then we do, then it's not necessarily about the current um, infrastructure, what about new infrastructure? So we've just opened a, um, a, a new, um, or Leeds City Council have just opened a new park and ride in, um, in, in Leeds which, um, which has got a lot of covered areas and it's full of solar panels and something like two thirds of the parking spots have got um, charging points and, um, and of course what the people, what people are expected to do is, is yes, drive their electric cars from home to this location, plug in, charge up. They'll be charging it with electricity that's being generated on the spot. So there's no need then to transfer to transmit that electricity to to the home. So there are different different solutions to this. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna
2: take uh, one the one last question that we have up here. Apologies, at least uh, thirteen other people uh, <laughs> who we thought they might be in the queue but I'm just mindful of time. So uh, I think Mike you'll be staying around for a little while. Yeah. Perhaps, no, I'm I So take questions then. So, um, 3D printing construction
0: technology. Can you can you 3D print a house, office block, a bridge? You can. I mean, you can 3D print an awful lot of um, of of, of things. And I I guess this is just an area where technology um, will will keep moving forward. Um, So, what do I think of it? I I I think it's not. the percentage of construction that is done with 3d printing and i'm probably looking at some of my colleagues here we're talking about tiny tiny uh, percentages especially when you start thinking of, of the big things of course you can 3d print you know small elements of, um, of that you may need in, in, in construction joints and um, and things like that but to 3d print a house um it's been done the chinese have been very um have been very active in um, in, in in 3d printing effectively with um, with Different types of, of materials, but including fibre-reinforced concrete and, um, and, and and the like. So I've got no doubt that it will um, I've, it will continue. I've got no doubt that we will be, and this is the interesting thing about the world we live in. I've got no doubt that we will be constructing things in 10 years' time in a way that we don't even envisage today. I think things are moving um, so fast. So yes, I think 3D printing has probably got a place, but. I also suspect that there might be other things that, um, that, that, that that come quicker. I think, you know, we would we would probably talk more about about what you might call build-off site. Um, so I think in, in the construction world, we still have a lot that we can do in understanding how you can um, construct things not on the ground um, in the place where the ultimate object is going to be, but you construct it somewhere else in the safety and the, and the closed environment of a factory, and you effectively modular construction, um, you see it a little bit like you know some of you might stay in hotels, juries in places like um, like that. A lot of their bathrooms will be produced in, as a modular thing in a factory, put on the back of a wagon, and um, and and sort of hoisted up and put into um, in, into position, and then and the plumbing, electrics, kind of connected. That's a that's a normal thing, but we don't do it so much with um, stations and, and and the like. And you know this is another thing where I think I think the um, the pressures that will come from decarbonisation, decarbonising the um, infrastructure, will it'll play a part in this because suddenly I think we're going to be thinking about the real advantages of not only designing something and building it once, but design it and build it 500 times, and each time it gets a bit better and a bit more efficient, so that you're actually using the least number of um, um, materials and um, and you're, you're building it in the most efficient sort of way. So I think there'll be other things apart from 3D printing. Mike, thank, thank you. you very much indeed. No, well, thank you. And thank you all for coming. For more information about the Bristol Lectures series, including other podcasts from the series, visit ue.ac.uk slash Bristol Lectures or follow hashtag Bristol Lectures.